0: listening to the sermon podcast from real life Pullman campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. So this morning we're here together to talk about resurrection, right? We're here to talk about Jesus' resurrection and conquering death and coming out of the tomb and all around the nation, today is a day where people are talking about resurrection. In fact, all around the world, people are giving a message of resurrection. They're talking about the the how and the when and the where and what happened and the, the timelines and the details of who was there and where they went and who said what to who and that all of of the course of events that led up to Jesus' resurrection. And this morning, we're going to do something a little different. Rather than focus in on the facts, we're going to answer a different question. If resurrection is so important, if it's such a big deal that people are talking about it around the world, why? Why does resurrection matter so much? Why is this such a big deal that people would speak of it everywhere on this day. In order to understand and and be able to answer that question and to help us see why resurrection is such a big deal, we gotta roll back the clock and we gotta look in the beginning at the story that God has been telling since the beginning of creation. Because God has been at work telling a good story since the very beginning. In Genesis one, we see this creation narrative, this poetry, that, that talks about creation. It talks about God creating things like fish in the sea, birds of the air, trees that bear fruit and, and seeds according to their own kind. It, it says that there's stars in the heaven that separate the day and the night and that there's earth and there's water that separate and make dry land. And, and every time we see God giving an account of something that he creates, he finishes it with this statement. It's good. All throughout creation, the whole account, God looks at creation and says that it is good. And then God does something amazing, something unique in all of creation, different than anything else that's been made up to this point. God makes people. In Genesis 1, it says this. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In verse 31, it goes on to say, that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. It was the sixth day. God looked at everything he made and said that it was very good. So in the beginning, we have a good God who making an amazingly wonderful creation, and he does something special. He makes people, us, in his own image, unlike anything else in all of creation. No animal, no tree, no seed, no fruit, no beast of the field, no bird of the air, nothing else besides us are made in the likeness of God. We bear his likeness. We are made in his very own image. In our family, we have five kids. Uh, one girl, you can all go. Oh, that's what everybody always does. Poor girl, it's true. She deserves an awe, right? Um, one girl, and the funny thing is, of all of our family, she's the one that looks the most like me. Lucky thing. <laughs> so she often makes this joke. She'll say, "Oh, you'll know how my dad is because he looks just like me with a beard," right? <laughs> In our family, she has my likeness. She almost looks like she's made in my image, unfortunately. Actually, she's beautiful, which, I mean, says something about me. Right, Tom? Right? Thank you. Come on. We are made in the image of God. God. And at the, at the end of this creation account, where, where it all sort of wraps up, it comes to a conclusion with this picture. Let's take a look at what it says. At the end of everything, it wraps up with this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we have this awesome God that made this amazingly wonderful, beautiful creation and he made us in his very own image, just like him, like, like, like we have his eyes. Oh, I could see his nose on her, right? Like that, like we have his likeness. And, and in the end, people were naked and felt no shame. In this good creation, the way God started our story, there was no guilt, there was no fear, there was no shame. This story is good, right? But we all know it doesn't stay that way for long, right? It doesn't stay that way for long because what happens is over the course of time, things start to change, and, and, and Adam and Eve, these first people, they find themselves doing the very thing that God told them not to do. I don't know if you have kids, but I've experienced this as a parent, and I don't know if you are a kid, um, but... You've done this, right? We've all done this. We've all known what was right and known what was wrong and found ourselves doing what was wrong, right? We fall into that trap. And that's what happened in the beginning. They found themselves doing the very thing God told them not to do. And and with that single act of disobedience, things began to change. It goes like this. In Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? In a blink, God is watching the innocence of mankind disappear. The very things that God meant to protect them from and to protect us from, they start to experience. They start to experience guilt they start to experience shame. They start to experience fear. They start to think, I'm afraid of God because look what I've done. What will happen if he finds out? They hide, they cover themselves. They're quiet. And it's in this time in their story and, in, and likewise in our stories is as we start to recognize where we go wrong, the mistakes that we make, the the things where we're disobedient and we do what we know we're not supposed to do. In the Bible, it's called sin. And when we start to experience sin, we do the same thing that they did. We start to do something crazy. We actually start to tell God who we are based on our mistakes and the things we've done wrong. We start to tell God that we're hiding from him and avoiding him and afraid of him because we're an addict. We tell him that we're hiding from him because we eat too much food, we drink too much beer, we uh, live vicariously through our kids and we completely ignore our spouse. We hide from God because we tell him that we're a liar or we're a cheater or that we're addicted to porn and we don't want him to know. We tell them that we have way too many secrets. We start to tell God who we are based on our mistakes. And the thing is, it doesn't work that way. Because nothing you do, nothing in your story can ever change God's mind about how valuable you are to him. God looks at you and says, you are not defined by your mistakes. You are not what you did wrong. In Corinthians, he says, I will be like a father to you. You will be like sons and daughters. To me. God looks at you as his special creation who bears his likeness and says that you are good and you are not who you say you are. This is the story God's been telling since the beginning of time. A lot of us are familiar with this passage, this idea that that Jesus came for a purpose that Jesus came for a reason and it wasn't to point out what we did wrong it wasn't to uh, commiserate with us in our mistakes check this out John says it like this he said for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life we've all heard that before but it goes on to say God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to tell us what we did wrong. Jesus didn't come to identify with all of the ways we screwed up. Say, yep, you sure messed up. Jesus came so that we might be saved through him, as we put our faith in Jesus, that he is who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, the the savior, the, the rescuer, the redeemer, that as we come to trust that Jesus is who God's word says he is, and a faith in him has the power to do what God's word says it has the power to do, all of a sudden Jesus coming to save us and not condemn us starts to ring true, right? And and that's why resurrection is such a big deal for us because when we talk about resurrection, it means something. It means that Jesus is who he says he was. He wasn't just a great rabbi. He wasn't just an amazing prophet. He wasn't just some uh, miraculous man. He was and is the Messiah, and so when we talk about resurrection and we read the words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 28, we should read them with a smile on our face, a glint in our eye, an excitement in, a, in an understanding of who Jesus is and what his resurrection means to us. We're going to read it. I really want you to smile while we read it. Like, really? it it changes your heart as you put a glad face And, and with anticipation you smile and you're wondering what are these words that he's talking about let's read them together it says this it says after the sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week mary magdalene and the other mary went to look at the tomb there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Do you know what it means to shake and become like a dead man? That's like two trained soldiers wetting themselves and falling on their face like they fainted. Straight up freaked them out and they fainted. Now watch this. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, right? So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Now, you got to just jump into this scene with me. This angel of the Lord has appeared like lightning and thunder and earthquake and trained soldiers fainted. And these two women hold their ground. Come on, ladies. (laughs) You've all heard that women are tougher than us guys. One more story to put in your book. (laughs) It's true. These women hold their ground, they hear from this angel and get this picture. Get this picture, this is important. They leave running to Galilee, afraid and filled with joy. Imagine, afraid, terrified, freaked out, Scared to death, overwhelmed, like scared stiff almost, but yet full of joy and excitement that Jesus was not in the tomb and He had risen and he would meet them in Galilee, and in this amazing act of benevolence, this, this I, I just feel like this is a kindness of Jesus. He does this. Suddenly, Jesus met them. "Greetings," he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Like, they are running to Galilee, a full of fear and joy. And Jesus is like, hang on a second. There's no need for you to be freaked out all the way to Galilee. I can take care of this right now. Like, girls, it's gonna be okay. Don't be afraid. I don't want you running with fear in your heart. I just want you to be just flat run full of joy. And so he just came to him and said, don't be afraid. Could you imagine? The peace that would wash over them and the excitement that would take root as they ran to Galilee to get to tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus was resurrected. He was the Messiah. He came through on his promise, right? And not long after that, we see Jesus meeting up with his disciples And this is what he had to say. With this sense of urgency, they got together. It says in Matthew 28, 16, it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Right? The resurrected Jesus rallies his guys together. He gets them together and he is like, I'm here, just like I said I would be. And then with this sense of urgency, he's like, and now we've got to get about some business. Because now that there is a way for anybody, anywhere, any place to be forgiven of anything and everything they've ever done wrong, everybody needs to know, right? Everybody needs to know. In fact, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. Go and help people learn how to follow me is what he was telling them. He said, to do this, you'll baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then you will do something amazing. You will teach them to obey the things that I taught you. That's the same commission, the same special instructions, the same marching orders that we have as Christians still today. We have those same instructions. We have that same sense of urgency that because we know that Jesus rose from the grave, because we know that he conquered death and his sacrifice covers our sin, because we know that God sees each and every one of you as valuable and worthy of that sacrifice, we want to make sure that every single person everywhere knows how good you are to God and how worthy you are of his sacrifice. And we wanna make sure that you know how to be forgiven and follow Jesus. And not just follow him and know about him or learn about him, we wanna make sure that you actually know how to be a disciple. Which means we're committed, like those early disciples were, to walking with you through the day-to-day treachery of life. Where some days it's really messy and complicated and we have no answers for you. And we have to say, I'll get back to you on that one. And we're committed to walk with you when you experience freedom and you lay down things that you have been carrying and believing about yourself. We're committed to celebrate with you and hug you and cry with you and to dig into God's word with you and and help you unpack and understand the, the what does that mean, right? That's what making disciples is. That's why for us as a church, it's way more than what we do on Sunday morning. We rally together with our friends on Sunday morning. We worship God together. We get fed. We get filled up. We get inspired. We get, we get juiced up and ready to go. And then we go and get into the dirty roads of life with our friends. And we help them know how to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. That's what it means to be a part of our family here. That's what we care about. That's why resurrection is such a big deal. Because it's Jesus' ultimate act of showing and telling you how valuable you are to him. That he will go to that length to redeem you, to make a way for your sin to be forgiven. God loves you that much. To make sure you believe me. give me one of these. God loves me. Say it with a little swank. God loves me. God loves right? Like you mean it. You are loved by God. As we wrap up this morning, we're going to do something. uh, For those of you that are regulars, we're going to take communion, which we do every week. um, But we're also going to um, spend a little bit of time uh, reflecting and praying before we take communion. So if you're new with us, when we take communion at Real Life, we have what we call an open table. And that means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can have communion with us. If you believe in Jesus... And you are grateful and glad for the sacrifice he made for you. Please take communion with us. And when the trays are passed, just hold on to the bread and the cup. And then in a little bit, we're going to take communion together. Okay? Now, while that stuff's getting passed out, I'm going to do one of those annoying preacher guy things where I'm going to get you to kind of slow down close your eyes and reflect while someone's trying to hand you something. So I'm sorry. I don't have a magic communion, Pastor. So we'll get by. So I do want you to do this. I I want you to just take a deep breath. Close your eyes. When it's your turn, they'll bump you. Don't worry about it. And I want you to just let this truth just wash over you. God made you good you are important to God now I want you to just think about this for a second no matter what you've done in your life no matter what ugly chapters there are in your story whether you've been running from God, ignoring Him, whether you've been trying to tell God who you are, here's the truth. Nothing, nothing in your story can change God's mind about how valuable you are to Him. So as you have your eyes closed and you're just letting that simmer, if you believe it, just just let that sound out of your voice like I'm valuable to God make that declaration now let's take time to talk to God when I say talk to God just all that means is you're just talking to God like you would one of your good friends when we say pray that just means talking to God like a friend that's all it is Take a minute and tell God, thank you for going to the cross, for enduring the grave and for conquering death so that we can have a way to be forgiven. Lastly, I want to make sure that nobody leaves here today without knowing how to be forgiven and to follow Jesus. In the early church, when people would hear about the good news, they would hear about Jesus, and, and through him, there was salvation in him and him alone, and through him, there was forgiveness for anything they ever did wrong. When they heard that, it was called the good news, and when they heard that great news, they would often respond with things like, brothers, what do we do now, right? They would hear this story of Jesus and and in faith, believe it, and then they would say, now what? Some responded with, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the apostles would respond with things like, believe in Jesus, be baptized, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if today is the day that you're ready to follow Jesus and you just have been like, I've known about him, I've believed in him or about him, but I get it. Like it's, it's way less complicated than I was making it. Really, it's that simple? Like I just believe in him and tell him that I believe in him? Yeah, really it's that simple. There's no magic prayer in all of scripture. There's no sinner's prayer. There's not a a right way to say it. To to put your faith in Jesus and to, to join the family, it's as simple as your sincere declaration that you say to God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is who he says he is, and that by having faith in him, I can be forgiven of anything and everything. Like you're just telling him something about what you believe. I want to give you a minute to just close your eyes and tell God if today is the day that you want to follow him. Go ahead. Now here's the cool thing. If today is the day that you chose to follow Jesus, to believe that he is who he said he was, to receive forgiveness of your sins and wipe your slate clean of every mistake you've ever made, if today is that day, let me be the first to tell you with open arms, welcome to the family, right? Welcome to the family. I don't wanna freak you out and put you on the spot, so don't worry, I'm not gonna. But I promise you, if you were so excited about what you just did that you jumped up, you would have about 50 people giving you a hug. That's what it means to be a part of the family, that you are accepted and loved, and people are glad to have you as a brother or a sister in Christ. It's super, super important that you don't leave here this morning without finding one of us that has one of these lanyards there's all kinds of people walking around with them just walk up to them and and it's just gonna be weird I'll tell you right now right get over it right it's just gonna be weird you just walk up to him and say ah today was the day I decided to follow Jesus I'm following Jesus I'm in like whatever comes out of your mouth it'll work you tell us tell us that you decided to follow Jesus because here's the deal we are committed to getting to know you and connecting you with people that can walk with you and help disciple you and pray for you because this this following Jesus thing is not done well alone you need family don't leave here without letting us pray for you write it on your card Drop it in the box. And then the next step for you is next weekend, we're doing baptisms right here on this stage. Right here. We are doing baptisms. Here's the cool thing, there's already a bunch of people getting baptized, so you wouldn't be by yourself. So I'll just erase that fear. You'd be with a bunch of friends that are excited to follow Jesus. Make sure you write that on your note, write it on your card, say, I'm in, I'm ready to get baptized. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you just have never been baptized, you've never followed through with that step, let's do it, let's do it. So we're gonna do something a little different as we celebrate and take communion this morning. Uh, Normally, we do communion every week and we approach it with kind of a, a somber and respectful attitude, which is right, but on Resurrection Sunday, we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna celebrate as we take communion. And when I say celebrate, I'm talking like you have been lost in the woods for three weeks, you're down to your last bite of tuna fish and you think you're going to die for real and someone shows up to save you. Like that feeling that would well up in you, that kind of celebrate. 10 times your favorite team winning. That kind of celebrate. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the bread and we're gonna take the cup And when we finish this cup, you're gonna let out a hoop and a holler and you're gonna clap and you're gonna jump to your feet and we're gonna sing the song and the words of this song, they're gonna come out of your mouth as if you wrote them to Jesus yourself. You You hear me? Come on. You guys need to get ready, I'm serious. Shake the bread out. We need a warm-up routine. Don't hurt anybody when you jump up. All right? Come on. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took that bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body given for you. As often as we get together, we remember with a smile on our face how good God was that he sacrificed his son for us. Let's eat. Hold that cup up. We remember this morning that Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we drink this, we celebrate that we have a way to be right with God now and forever. Let's drink. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.